Welcome to the Women's Utilities Network, One for All podcast, our corner of the world where we'll be talking all things energy, water, sharing personal stories and debating female issues. Enjoy. Welcome to the latest Women's Utility Network, One for All podcast, developing new wind generation across Scotland. I am Karen Hosking, industry advocate at One, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Logan Black, Principal Business Development Manager at EDF Renewables UK. This podcast will be focusing in on Scottish wind generation and what challenges new projects face to completion. On a recent visit to Edinburgh, as our plane approached into land, it was clear to see the way that the Scottish landscape and communities have continued to develop wind generation in Scotland. There are turbines as far as the eye can see. Today, Logan and I will be discussing how renewable energy is developing across Scotland and indeed all around the UK to meet net zero carbon targets. Thank you so much for joining with one today for the podcast, Logan. Can we start off, please, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey to date and your current role at EDF Renewables? Definitely. Thank you, Karen. It's uh, exciting to be here and uh, talk about renewables in Scotland and uh, focus on onshore wind. So from an early age, I've always had an interest in energy. Uh, I remember going to visit Torness uh, nuclear power plant when I was in primary school. Uh, there was a we had a tour of the reactor and uh, it was a great day but what really struck me was there was a stationary bike in the visitor center and you got to go on it and pedal as hard as you could to see how much power you could put out i i, I remember getting up to a microwave uh, but n- no matter how hard i try i could never get up to the kettle so uh, that that was quite a, a lasting impact on me after primary school, I studied uh, Bewley Denny transmission line uh, when I was in uh, secondary school and uh, wrote an essay on that and uh, began to understand how important energy was to all of our lives. Around this time, I was deciding what to do at university and um, what I should be doing with my future career. And uh, because I was good at physics and maths, uh, a teacher recommended that I go and study engineering at university. So that's what I did, and I got accepted onto a mechanical engineering course. Initially, I wanted to work in oil and gas, and that's probably a bit of a surprise for anyone that knows me. But I had a few interviews in my fourth year, and after doing two energy-related modules, one in petroleum engineering and one in renewable energy and energy efficiency, I knew oil and gas wasn't for me, so I decided to specialise in renewables and took a master's in the field. So after graduating, I worked for a large multinational technical consultancy within the renewable energy team. I did a whole lot of interesting work across different technologies, ranging from uh, runoff river projects in Scotland to solar-based mini-grids uh, to supply hospitals in northern Nigeria, which uh, is a project I'm really proud of being involved in then moved to a small developer in Edinburgh and that's when I really got into project development. It's where I got exposed to uh, the commercial side of renewables. I learned all about the different agreements that projects need to actually be built ranging from land agreements and grid connections and turbine supply uh, agreements as well as the operational projects. 
after being there for a few years, I went back into consultancy where I uh, was fortunate enough to have the chance to do two really interesting secondments. Uh, one was for the energy department of the government, uh, looking at uh, energy storage, uh, focused on long duration, uh, Bayes at the time, now Desnes. And uh, the second was uh, to a large water utility company where I developed a pipeline of uh, solar projects and had sorts of interactions with the senior stakeholders in the company to build the business case and uh, explain the rationale of why we should be doing it. I've been pretty fortunate enough to experience a lot of different stakeholders in the, in the renewables industry and do all sorts of different roles. Uh, but after the commercial secondment, I knew that was the type of role I wanted to be in. And that takes me to where I am today at EDF Renewables, where I look after a team of project managers to deliver our onshore wind portfolio. I look to either uh, to grow it, either through uh, merger and acquisition opportunities or by optimising the projects so that they are the best they can be. Sounds like you've had such a varied career path so far. Thank you so much for sharing that, Logan. I, for one, did not know that you looked at oil and gas. That's really, really interesting. Really great to hear how your journey has been to reach here. So really wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned now you work primarily with onshore wind. Could you give us a little bit of a flavour of the current state of play for onshore wind renewables in Scotland in terms of their deployment? So in terms of onshore wind, Scotland is pretty much the place to be in the UK. There's uh, nine gigawatts of uh, onshore wind installed in Scotland. This is a significant portion of the UK total of uh, 14 and a half gigawatts. And going forward, the Scottish government has set a target of 20 gigawatts by 2030. So there's a lot of growth and there's a lot of opportunity. EDF Renewables has 500 megawatts in operation in Scotland and uh, about 1.5 gigawatts in gigawatts planning and development. So we're playing a pivotal role in the renewable energy sector in Scotland. It's absolutely fantastic to hear the uh, work that EDF Renewables are doing, particularly in Scotland, and um, obviously seeing lots of anyone who wishes to follow um, all the posts on LinkedIn. There's lots of content there about um, all the work that EDF Renewables are doing in and around Scotland. You mentioned you work a lot in regards to developments, and I'm wondering if you could walk us through perhaps um, the development journey of, of a new wind farm, maybe something you've worked on recently, giving us the key project milestones, diving in a little bit more into the type of key stakeholders that you, you may work with when you're working a project, um, such as maybe West Benhar that we looked at, uh, um, and I, I recently profiled on the One website. It's probably a bit of a surprise uh, to people. I, I usually get a bit of a short reaction when I uh, mention it. Onshore wind projects take quite a long time to actually come through from concept to uh, delivering low-cost, low-carbon electricity. It can take between five and ten years, and uh, there's obviously some other projects which take are a bit quicker or a lot longer. Uh, one of the projects that I've been uh, working on uh, has been in development for over 20 years, and there's various reasons for that. But development of a wind farm kind of takes falls into three major steps. There's uh, origination and consent, which takes between two and four years. There's uh, 
optimization and investment decision, which is another two to four years. And then there's construction, which is typically one to two years. And then you're into operations, which can be anywhere between 20 to 35 or 40 years. So how do you come up with a wind farm? Well, there's two main ways that projects come into our pipeline. There are through tenders, which are organized by estates and landowners and their agents. And they send a site out to a bunch of different renewable energy developers and say, what's the best you can do with this site? And then there's the other side of things, which is identifying sites yourself uh, using uh, different land tools. And uh, you go from there to identify where it would be good to install our wind turbines. And once you've identified the site or uh, responded to a tender, you're into the sort of negotiation period. You're signing your land agreements. You're considering what sort of uh, things you'll have to put into your environmental impact assessment, uh, how you're going to engage with statutory consultees. So that's everyone from the Environment Agency in England, SEPA in Scotland, Civil Aviation Authority, people like that, and also communities. We place a specific focus on being good neighbours and working alongside our communities to maximise the benefit to local economies and to the people and businesses in and around our project and also planning authorities. Once we're doing that, we've identified what studies we're going to be doing. We're on site, we're measuring how deep the peat is, we're counting the different types of wildlife that's there and then we take all that data, establish a baseline, and then we study how our project is going to impact that environment and how we can minimise the impact that we have on the environment to ensure that overall the project is uh, beneficial for uh, the local area and the local environment. Once we've done that, we pull it together into a planning application and submit it to ILOR local authority or the energy consent unit for review. During this time, uh, we're also speaking to the grid network to understand when can we connect our project, how can we connect our project, how much is it going to cost and understanding that sort of dynamic as well. After that process is done, we should have a planning consent all going well and a grid connection offer and, and land secured three fundamental parts of a project. After that, we look at securing a route to market. So this is uh, an area you'll know pretty well, Karen. Uh, we look at getting a PPA for our projects and maximising the sort of value creation there. Can we find a price that works for us and work for uh, the company that wants to take power from the wind farm? So we're doing all sorts of different things in this uh, phase of the project. We're looking to optimise our projects, decrease the costs, increase uh, some other areas, but really we're just trying to make the project as best value as it can. So once we've got a route to market and we've built a solid business case, at that point we take the investment decision in the project and we go off and sign the turbine contracts that we've uh, been procuring during the sort of optimization period. We appoint different contractors and we go into construction and uh, we get ready to build the wind farm. During this sort of stage, this is where we establish the community benefit fund. And that's uh, where we're speaking to the communities, understanding what projects they want to be doing. 
usually one to two years after we've uh, begun construction. The wind farm's up and operational and we are generating electricity. That, that was a bit of a fly through uh, development of a, a wind farm. Yeah, I hate to say our podcasts can't last 20 years, but um gives you a bit of a flavour of uh, the length and um, speed of consents in the UK. And I think there's been quite widely publicised about the challenges of really decarbonising the grid and how long it actually takes to physically get a wind turbine generating. So I think it'd be quite interesting to see how government kind of deals with that in the future. But uh, that's a podcast for another day, I feel. So probably touched on it a little bit, but what do you see are the key benefits and challenges onshore wind and particularly intermittent renewables, I would say, present in, t- in terms of the UK's net zero ambitions? I guess where I'm going with that question is how do you see the landscape changing with more and more wind farms being completed that are reaching the end of that journey you've just described? So I'll start with the benefits. Key benefits of onshore wind is uh, that these projects are able to produce local, low cost, low carbon energy. And the best bet is it's a technology that can be deployed today. We're not waiting on any innovations and they can be deployed quickly. Uh, there's a whole heap of local benefits that go along with onshore wind uh, projects as well. So these uh, include things like supply chain jobs uh, throughout the whole project lifecycle, community benefit payments, community investment opportunities, business rates to local authorities, and also a, a boost for local businesses. The key challenge uh, for onshore wind is that the best resource is located far away from the centres of demand and the infrastructure to get between the two needs to be upgraded. This can increase project costs and mean long connection timescales. Other challenges we're facing in Scotland include planning applications and the amount of time they take to go through the planning system, the grid infrastructure and supply chain and access to what we call tier one suppliers. So an example of that would be manufacturers for wind turbine towers. But one area you touched on there is intermittency, and that is going to be a bit of a hot topic going forward. We're already seeing quite a lot of batteries deployed across the UK, which should help with this. These batteries respond to when wind turbines or solar panels are generating, storing the energy for release later onto the system. There's also other technologies which are some old like pump storage hydro which is basically a giant water battery where water is pumped from a reservoir in the low elevation to a high elevation and there's a lot of people that are investigating this as a form of long duration storage to uh, help smooth out uh, sort of intermittency and renewables. Another technology which is relatively new to uh, the renewables industry is hydrogen. This uh, is an exciting area and uh, it's something a lot of people are exploring. And uh, we are at EDF Renewables really exploring how that can help and what role that can play in the future. This is just such wonderful insight. And I think for me, it's clear to see that onshore wind is really going to be playing a front row role in how 
the future energy system across Scotland and into the UK will look. Would you agree that it's kind of the the front runner or how do you see the uh, the future of these onshore wind farms as they uh, come to maybe 10, 15 years of life? I would say onshore wind has pivotal role to play in the future energy system, but there are other technologies that also have a key role. There's a nuclear power, there's a energy storage, there's solar PV, and there's offshore wind as well. All these technologies are needed. But onshore wind is a mature, well-established technology that is reliable and cost-effective. And we can look at combining these other technologies alongside onshore wind to make a sort of hybrid site. So we can look at adding hydrogen electrolyzer onto site. We can look at adding battery. We can look at adding solar. Onshore wind has experienced significant cost reductions over the years, making it one of the most competitive forms of renewable energy. But to truly maximize the benefits of onshore wind and renewables, we need supportive policies, streamlined planning processes to ensure that we're continuing investment in this sector. Completely agree. I'm seeing that uh, across the board, not just in Scotland. I'm down in the southwest, so uh, certainly like to see a few more solar parks down here. There's n- not quite enough as you go up the M5. It's just not not what you need to see, but we're certainly getting there. One thing that I would like to ask you is obviously talking to you as part of the Women's Utility Network, and we're very aware as an as an energy industry one are aware of the challenges to bring more leadership diversity into our sector. How do you view that in the area of renewables in regards to you know, the leadership diversity? Renewables does relatively well for diversity, but things can always be better. We're a relatively young well, young group of technologies and a young dynamic, and I think that's reflected in the types of people that work here. But diversity is important. People from different backgrounds bring different perspectives. And when you're tackling a problem with biggest net zero, arguably the biggest problem that we have to solve in in this generation, which impacts everyone, you need to understand different viewpoints. You need to be open to challenge. In a world characterized by complex challenges, diversity is crucial for problem solving and adaptability. Diverse teams draw on a wider range of experience and knowledge and skills. It enables the teams to tackle problems from multiple angles and adapt to changing circumstances more effectively. And if there's one thing we need to be as an industry, it's be ready to adapt to change. Absolutely. And it's such an exciting industry to be in. And I'm really pleased to um, have hosted you on this uh, on this podcast today. Um, wind developments are, and uh, renewables, as everyone knows, are, are quite close to my heart. If uh, you follow me, follow me on LinkedIn, you'll know, uh, you know what I do for a day job. So I always I always ask this question of my of my guests. So what advice and tips would you give anyone who's listening in pursuing and developing a career in, in our industry? The renewable sector is very broad and I've done a few different roles and I've not even touched the site. The key skills I've found to be important are project management and stakeholder engagement. But some of my colleagues focus on uh, policy, planning, accounting, law, data analysis. And uh, Karen, I don't even know half of what you do. And uh, you're you're very much a a key part of the energy industry setting uh, suppliers and uh, generators together and marrying them up. It's uh, very complicated, but 
there's a wide range of skills and expertise in renewables. So I would encourage you to look where your strengths are and look for a role that sits. We want to attract people from all different backgrounds into renewables. I, I would encourage you to be prepared to learn a lot. Renewable energy is very multidisciplinary and there's a huge amount of different roles and skills involved in just a development project. I usually learn a thing or two from the people I work with. And I would encourage you to attend a conference or reach out on LinkedIn, get in touch with someone who works in renewables. And uh, we're a very friendly bunch generally. So uh, I'm sure they'd be happy to answer a few questions or give you a few more pointers. Well, thank you so much. It doesn't feel like it, but that brings us to the end of um, this podcast for one. I would like to thank Logan for giving us his time today and for um, adding to the ever-growing podcast library that we have for our One Network. So I hope everyone who's listening has enjoyed this one. And just to close, thank you to Logan and thank you for listening today.